0: Hello and welcome to the Sage Oak Show, Senior Care Simplified. I'm your host, Christina Hodak, and my guest today is Brian Harman, who is a physical therapist, owner and founder of Nexus Home Health. Welcome Brian. Thank
1: you. Thanks for having me.
0: We're very glad to have yeah. you on with us today. We hope that we can dive into some interesting information yeah. about home health that a lot of families may find educational and interesting all alike. So tell us first, how did you get to your background as being a physical therapist before you were an owner of the company, of course. So how did you get to the pathway of going as being a clinician and working as a clinician to owning your own company? Uh,
1: This long process. Uh, (laughs) So I started off as a physical therapist. I spent probably 10 years or so in sports medicine and orthopedics. Um, and then when we moved back to Florida, I got an opportunity to work in home health, which was a new environment for me. Um, and initially I didn't care for it because uh, in sports medicine clinics, you're seeing multiple patients. They're just kind of stacked. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly moving. And so going from that to one-on-one in somebody's home was a, it was a big slowdown. It was a big uh, shift for me. And within about six months, I fell in love. Like this is the place I want to be. And what you realize, as you're in patients' homes, is that there's a lot of insights that you gain from that environment that I would never get in a clinic environment.
0: Absolutely. And, so,
1: and then you start thinking further, and really, where the the biggest need for healthcare is obviously in an aging population. So you combine all these things together. It's like this is really where I was, what I was designed to go do. So I did. I I was in clinical roles and leadership roles with various larger, smaller home health companies. Uh, spent some time working with, working in research and then um, just through some events, ended up um, purchasing this agency on our own um, last January and we've been running ever since.
0: I think it's wonderful that you decided to own a healthcare company and you are a clinician. Yep. To me that's super important. Yep. My background is geriatric nursing and yep. that's why I, I think I fit so well into the senior care industries because yep. I came from a clinical side before I was in an administrative role. That's right.
1: That's so right. it gives you different it gives you a different perspective. You know, if, mm-hmm. if an accountant or, a, or an attorney owning you know a healthcare company or running a healthcare company or even these mbas i'm an mba as well it's just a very different perspective when you're in the clinical work itself in fact um myself i still treat i i keep a limited uh a limited caseload yeah. um but all of my directors and my and my lead folks they all treat as well because the second that you start getting out of the field, I think you, it becomes more of a business and you forget why you're there in the first place. And you don't, you don't gain any additional information or insights or you know, ahas if you're not in the field, in the work, working with patients, working with families, working with senior living communities. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that you gain from those, from those experiences that sitting in an office or out doing sales calls or doing these kind of conversations, which I enjoy, I don't gain as much as if I'm with patients.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with that background, you know what to focus on within your company. Right. You know, of course, the focus <laughs> is on restoring, you know, strength and yeah. balance to your patients. Um, but it can also be focused on something that's not necessarily restorative, but rather preventative. That's
1: correct. Yes,
0: I think that the preventative side, at least from what I have seen in our residents and families that come to us, it seems like. People typically turn to home health care and, you know, in-home therapy once there has been a significant event to occur, Um, but a lot of people, maybe they don't even realize that they do have the benefit with a lot of their insurance that they can get therapy and start building strength before they have a catastrophic event. Talk a little bit about that for us. So
1: it's a a, uh, subject that is near and dear to my heart because we get to see... The end result once the bad things start to happen, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, it's 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 a we live in an interesting interesting world now where you know two hundred years ago the average life lifespan was like thirty eight, you know, and <laughs> now we're roughly eighty. So we're we're living in, in a time where we have much older bodies, um, a lot more wear and tear, and um, and so. There's a lot of degenerative issues that are happening, and so there's uh, there's a there's a use case for using therapy and those kind of modalities prior to the bad things happening. Because once yes. the bad things start to happen, the new baseline is lower, and then another bad thing happens, and another and, and the baseline's lower. And so our perspective is we have some um, I own a clinical model, and we look at um, well over a hundred different data points that are attributed to um, risk factors and success rates in seniors. And so based on what we see with those things, it helps us to uh, it helps illuminate, rather, the areas of concern so we can go tackle those things. So what ends up happening is now is, now while we're working with someone who's already maybe had that decline, we're starting to set them up for the future in prevention. And so, you know, in, in particular with like working with senior living communities, one of the things that we try to educate them on is anytime there's somebody that's new moving in, the, the 90, 90% of the reason why they're moving in is some sort of a loss of function
0: mm-hmm. or
1: there's a medical decline or something. And so they're already seeing something, they themselves or the family members are already seeing Something that's happening, and they're starting to need some additional help. And so, my perspective is, I would like for all of those new residents to see therapists. Maybe not the nursing part, but for sure the therapy part to make sure that the environment is set up that's conducive for them. You know, what kind of furniture are we bringing in? What's the furniture layout look like? Is there caregiver training that needs to happen? And so, yeah. if we can do those things on the front end, then maybe we can delay some of the, the some of the downturns, or, or the downturns don't become so severe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you hit on uh, furniture layout yeah. and especially when you're moving into a community like sage oak where it's either assisted living or memory care. There are some things that you have at home that you don't necessarily right. need any long. You probably don't need them at home, but right. you certainly don't need them once you move into a senior care yeah. living center. Um, can you highlight what some of those items may be?
1: Yeah. I, I think the major things that we see is, um, The bed sizes, and it's not necessarily too wide or too small. It's a lot of it. Sometimes it's the mattress itself that they're using. Sometimes it is the size of the bed, whether it's too wide or too tall or too small. Um, A lot of times we run into people who want to bring in their, you know, their rocker swivel recliners, Um, and if you're somebody who's already starting to struggle getting up and moving around and there's some balance issues and maybe there's some strength issues like trying to push up on a chair that is constantly moving on you it's not usually a good good mix Um, so some of those kind of things um, usually in in senior living communities y'all are really good about there's wider open doorways there's no Mm -hmm. rugs on the ground so that some of that kind of stuff um, we don't really run into usually if it's if it's a a furniture related issue it's too much too large or it's the wrong type it's not stationary enough
0: yeah, yeah absolutely you know we don't put rugs down but we right. do absolutely run into that with families because yeah. they want that warmth That's and right. they feel yes. like a lot of people also feel like having that rug or even carpet in mm-hmm. say, joke, we have all you know wood floors yep. Yep. or tiled floors um, and a lot of times families will be like oh i really like it but yeah You know, there's no carpet. And we're like, well, there's a reason for that. There's a method to the madness, right? right. Walkers don't push as easily if it's on carpet, wheelchairs, but certainly rugs are a trip hazard. And even if you fall on carpet versus falling on a hardwood floor, have you seen in your practice that there's a big difference in injury rate?
1: You know, that's (laughs) fascinating. No, you know, honestly, um, I think. If you think about it, it feels like you would hurt worse if you fall on tile versus versus carpet. And there's mm-hmm. probably something on that. What's really interesting, though, is they, um, so we'll do a sidebar conversation. Sure. There's a thing called a hip protector. Yes. Um, and these things were like all the rage about 10 years ago. And what a hip protector is, is it's like um, hockey, like the goalie pants, like bike shorts. Yeah, like padded underwear. With built-in pads, yeah. right? <laughs> And so it's kind of like Spanx, um, yeah. and so, <laughs> so it's Spanx with a function. But anyway, so um, the, the idea behind them was if you fall because there's now some additional padding, then the theory is we're going to see fewer um, fractures. And those things were on for, for several years, these things went on, were being sold, and um, finally they started to do some research because they started to see, maybe anecdotally we're not seeing the the results that we thought we were gonna see. And so mm-hmm. they did take, uh, it's probably been a couple years now, they took some nursing homes, they had a group of nursing homes that were, everyone wore the, the the hip protectors, and they had a group of nursing homes where they didn't wear them, and they found no change in hip fractures. And so now, what our prevailing theory now is in most cases that the hip fracture is actually the thing happening first that's what's causing the fall and not the other way around yeah but if it's me and i'm worried about falling i probably want to have, want to have a little extra padding but, well you know, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> well that's true yeah. so yeah we we do come across that size of furniture is another yes. yeah. big thing because yeah. a lot of people especially moving into you know one of our sage oak communities they've had a whole house that's full right. of large furniture right. now you don't need that anymore right. especially when we get to our residents that have cognitive impairment mm-hmm. smaller really is better yes. that's kind of our motto for everything yes. at Say joke we like smaller yep. more intimate size settings yep. that comes with rooms as well it, they're just easier to navigate you can't fill them with as much or you shouldn't right. fill them with as much stuff. well
1: and to y'all's credit too when you keep rooms small like that it, there's a natural tendency to want to be out in the community yeah. where it's easier for caregivers to keep eyeballs on people and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And so I think it helps from that end too, but you're right. Like the, the downsize thing is a, is a major issue. You know, you spent 70 years acquiring all this stuff and now all of a sudden you're going to go to a, a much smaller room. And so there, there is a transition and there's a, there's probably some psychological stuff that goes through that Oh you yeah, know, <laughs> as, as they're having to say goodbye to, 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 to goods and things that they've had for their entire life. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah so uh, another common confusion that families have when they come to us when they're asking do we think that the resident may Mm -hmm. need home health and you know if we think that it would probably be beneficial to get you guys to come out and evaluate them or something they don't know the difference between physical therapy versus occupational therapy yeah
1: yeah um as a general rule and it shouldn't be this way but this is kind of how we treat it in the industry Um, everything from like the waist down typically is done by PTs and everything from the waist up. So the arms are done Mm -hmm. by OTs. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, OTs actually. Historically, have been trained on home modifications and equipments and those kind of things for what we call activities of daily living. So, if your if your joints or your muscles or your, or your hands don't work as well, there are adaptive equipment that the OTs are generally more well versed in than a, than a physical therapist is. Um, but what we typically find in this and in like anything post acute, so think anything outside of a hospital, outside of like an orthopedic clinic. So in um, skilled nursing facilities and rehab hospitals in home health. Usually, you just see the dividing line is OTs do upper and, and mm-hmm. PTs do lower. It's kind of how they do that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So your company offers both, correct? We do
1: both. Yeah. So we, um, we just have we have a different philosophy, a different clinical philosophy. So we actually train uh, PTs. Um, to kind of treat like OTs. And so our, we are very functional based. Um, in fact, all of our scoring tools are based off of those kind of things. Um, and then we we employ a lot of um, adaptive um, equipments and home modifications, those kind of things to help make sure that the, the systems that are, that sustain life essentially are being met safely and consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do use OTs if we have someone who's had like a recent stroke and we need to do some specific arm uh, rehab, then we'll use OTs for that.
0: So it kind of gives yeah. you the best of both worlds. We feel
1: like that. Yeah. We feel like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I think so, too. I know, you know, Brian's company operates in the Dallas area. Uh, We use Nexus Home Health with some of our residents at Sage Oak in Dallas. And uh, it's really easy to talk about what a great company you guys are and how you treat your patients and our residents. Um, So we're fortunate to have you guys in the area. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Thank and you. We, and we we enjoy, you know, the,
1: the the caregiver training aspect is another thing. You know, when when we're working with patients in uh, in assisted living's in particular, you know, uh, while the end user of that of those services is really the patient, one of the things that we that we train all of our clinicians on is really it's the facility the the community that we're really trying to pour into, and so we want to make sure that by the time we're discharging um, you know, Mrs. Smith, that one, the systems are, are, in good place for her, but also that the caregivers feel comfortable and they're well-trained and they understand how to use whatever equipment we brought in or, you know, whatever transfer, um, details that we've modified or whatever. So when I actually make sure you guys are, are well set up as well.
0: That's very important. We have certainly benefited yeah. from your caregiver training yeah. in the communities yeah. in Dallas as well. That, that's a big deal, you know, to yeah. find a, a senior living community mm-hmm. that partners well and communicates well yeah. with other you know healthcare companies that are on board with us and to have them do that and mm-hmm. reciprocate that it's very rare yeah. uh, to find but it's super important i think families uh, need to know that it you know talk to whether you're moving in with sage oak or someone else talk to that company, ask them how they communicate with other home health Mm -hmm. companies. Um, What is that dialogue? A lot of times you get several people trying to treat the same resident and there's not that back and forth, and so you can have some misfires yep. when that occurs, yep, when you right. don't have that open line of communication. And
1: it, and it goes to both the facility at the facility level and the home health level, right? Cause you know, there's certainly some communities that we have, we enjoy really tight relationships with like say joke. Um, and then there's other ones that the, the, I think it's just their business model is more kind of hands off. They don't really want to yeah. touch the healthcare part of it. The problem is with that is in my, in my opinion, I'm, I'm always obviously biased because I'm on the healthcare side of it. when, you have older adults moving into assisted living. There are healthcare needs whether you want to pay attention to them or not. That's and so very true. <laughs> if if you're gonna have healthcare needs, you probably should have some really tight relationships with providers that are that are coming to your campus. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that that communication goes both ways. I think the downside of, of and maybe every other industry is this way, I just know we feel it in healthcare yeah. where a lot of times we, we have these silos and I think sometimes our, our own actions help to reinforce those silos. And so we try to be very cognizant of, we don't want that. We, we the, the patient is ultimately the biggest benefactor or your resident is the mm-hmm. biggest benefactor of all of us working together. And it's going to take a collaborative effort um, to do that. And we can't just have nurses and therapists coming in, not talking with anybody, not doing any kind of education or highlighting things that are of concern to the caregiver staff, because the caregivers are overwhelmed too, right? They're, they know they're dealing with some higher acuity, some older, Older, sure. um, some older and sicker individuals. And sometimes that's scary. Sometimes you're not really sure, like when do, I, when do I report these things? And so it's helpful for them to have somebody to contact, to text or call or whatever and go, hey, here's what I'm seeing, what do I do with this? And so I think that that relationship benefits the patient ultimately, but all of us um, as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when do you ever have a scenario where you may be treating someone in their home not mm-hmm. necessarily senior living community yep. in their home and you identify that maybe it's time for a little more help than just us coming every to day. your house <laughs> <laughs> every day every so, day we get so that, yeah. how do you approach those conversations with the families when that comes up
1: um carefully um you know there's a, there's a lot of I, I would say salesmanship but i think i think you have to understand that you're dealing with older individuals who've gotten used to certain systems. Their their lifestyle, everything's that all their stuff is in their home. And so the conversation to move from that to another facility sometimes is or to a facility or community is, is sometimes a tough one. And so um, we have the benefit of having some very specific objective measures that we can go and share with family members, and go, here's where your risk factors are, here's what these scores put you in. And so when we have when we're having those discussions, it it is very helpful to have something objective to relay back, to refer back to so that we can go, okay, these clearly are, are issues. How in this environment are we gonna get these things solved? And sometimes, a lot of times we can just do that through bringing in some additional, you know, private duty caregiver support. But as hours increase, that gets the, the, the expense can get, um, get pretty up there. Um, and sure. so um, then it starts to look at, okay, what kind of, um, what other resources or what other, what other communities can we look into that are, that are better fit for mom or dad?
0: Well, when it does look like it's beyond just a private duty caregiver mm-hmm. coming in, what are some things that families should look for when selecting uh, an assisted question. living community yes. or memory care community? Great question.
1: Because you guys, there's a lot of options here. There and are, are some, a lot. There's of some options. really, really great ones here. I will tell you, I work with a bunch of them, and they are awesome. And then there are some that are just you—they're you, not—they're not—they would not be ideal. Um, Um, I would definitely look at caregiver ratios Um, I I think the number one thing that I find that my team finds in assisted livings and remind and remember we're also ones who are very collaborative with the building so we we are more sensitive to the fact of if there is limited caregiver support or limited collaboration, we feel that directly um, in terms of not just the frustration of there's nobody here to go to, but also we feel it because I'm not discharging that patient until these systems are in place. Yeah, you can't be as successful
0: in your company as And I can't
1: have that, you know, if I don't have have good communication or collaboration with the caregivers there, then I can't get my goals met for this particular resident. So I'd pay attention to the caregiver support. Um, I would um, I, honestly, I think that's the, probably the number one thing. Um, caregiver support is probably the number one thing. Usually, the smaller buildings are better fitted for that, and it doesn't mean that the bigger buildings aren't are still fine. I work with a couple uh, really large buildings, and they do fantastic oh, work. Oh sure. The but the resident that they cater to, by its very nature, is going to be a much more independent. Yeah, and so I think depending on the, other, the other, I think the other qualify, qualification thing would be depending on how much need you, how much need you have. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're fairly independent, you just need a few things to help be helped with. I think some of the larger facilities are okay. If you are waiting until later, and now it's like I need help with a lot of things, I would probably venture to go with something more mid size or smaller size because the caregiver support and the ratios are just better.
0: Yeah, we absolutely feel that way, and you know, you hit the nail on the head the larger communities, there are a lot of great ones. So yes. I know we always, for Say Joke, we always talk about smaller is better. And yeah. we personally feel that way because that's the resident right. that we cater well, to. And you
1: guys identified that there was a need in the, in the marketplace for something that was smaller. Absolutely. Because we see what happens in some of the larger ones. Yeah. Um, and, but, but again, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad. There's some really great ones out there. And there are things that they offer that smaller agencies, smaller, or smaller, agencies, smaller um, communities can't.
0: Absolutely. You know, they got big
1: um, theaters and they got pools yeah. and they've <laughs> got like all the, like, there's just a lot of yeah. We're not going to be able to compete with that. That's right. And That's you're right.
0: right. It is the the more independent, or even if they need assistance, but maybe not as much assistance, right. those residents do great in those communities. Yes. And I was executive director over some of those that's really right. large right. yeah. uh, national organizations. Yep. And there is a place for those in the market. Mm-hmm. Certainly that's what's kind of dominating the market. Yep. But yes, you know, at a joke we felt like there's not a lot of really great options for those residents that have higher acuity needs mm-hmm. that maybe they could go to skilled nursing, um, but, they don't necessarily have to. And a lot of the larger assisted living and memory care communities, they're allowed to take that as far as regulatory wise, but on the legality side, they don't wanna touch it as much because they do better catering to those more independent. So that's why Sage Oak, falls in that gray area yes. so if it's someone that is thinking that maybe they need skilled nursing don't know for sure come and talk to us because right. we may be an option we may not and we're happy to guide you uh to a good skilled nursing facility yeah. if that's the case um but yeah they they the large ones definitely are great we feel like we do high acuity and memory care really yes. well yes. at sage oak because yeah. once you have that cognitive impairment piece onto it, Mm -hmm. you really do get lost in the mix in the larger areas. Smaller is certainly better when you're dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. And with our caregiver ratios, that's one of the things that, uh, we feel like we do really well. Also, I will concur. (laughs) Thank you. Um, but you are able to really hone in and know that resident better. They get more caregiver hours per resident per day when you have the ratios. That's right.
1: And they've done some, they've done some studies too, even on, um, fall rates, if you compare yeah. large facility to small, I think, the, I think when they said smaller, I think you may know, is it less than 25? I'm trying uh, to remember the statistic, but it was something about, um, really, really large ones and then anything less than 20 or 25, whatever mm-hmm. that number was. And it was like 25% fewer, uh, or 75% fewer falls um yeah in smaller facilities than the larger ones and a lot of that's just because the you know um the the caregivers are present there's enough of them there you know around the clock
0: absolutely you know. and you know when you talk about the ratios and kind of guiding people mm-hmm. on when they're making that selection i would also encourage them to ask the community who is included in that ratio? Because sometimes communities will lump every employee in for their caregiver ratio. And that's fine because they're there, but if they're not the ones providing the actual caregiving they might be the activities director the chef they may be maintenance they may be and they'll
1: certainly pop in and help out so that's not to take that away but their primary job is not on the caregiving side
0: who is actually on the floor doing the caregiving really hone in on that because yeah we do that so our caregiving ratios you know in denton our homes are licensed for a max of 16 Mm -hmm. per house and in assisted living we would have a minimum of one caregiver for every eight residents so Mm -hmm. if that house was full we'd have two on each each shift. Yep. Uh, but in addition to that, we have a chef that's in the house. It's mm-hmm. not included in that caregiver ratio. We have an activities director. We have a nursing right. director. We have myself that are rounding through their Dallas. We're licensed uh, for eight. We have one caregiver for every four right. residents there. Yep. So we've got two on you know on our day shifts yep. there. Um, and in memory care, we have one to five. Right so we really try to focus on giving that one-on-one care yeah. it's and almost it's
1: almost double the caregiver ratio right. that you guys have versus the larger and in
0: doing that we can help and be an extension like when <laughs> you come and do therapy and you're also doing training for the caregivers they can continue to try to practice That's with right. some of those you know simpler exercises yep. that don't require a therapist supervision when they're doing it right. they can keep it going yep. throughout the week until you guys are there to see them again
1: yep. absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah
0: are there any tips at home that you can? And give uh, to people that may want to continue to strengthen, to prevent before something bad happens, things um, they can do?
1: What I, maybe not tips, because tips is hard to do, because it, 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 it's always individual. Um, but I can give you, um, there's a fascinating study that was done a couple years ago. And um, one of the things that we've known for a long time is that uh, it, with deconditioning, the body the, with, let me put it this way, with limited exercise or activity, the body does decline pretty fast. Yes. And in older folks, it declines even faster. And so they did a study uh, a couple years ago and they looked at uh, a couple groups of people. One was, they were both over 65. One side was, uh, they put them through a five month exercise course. So they were doing resistance training. They also monitored their, their protein intakes and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And in five months, the average participant in that study um, gained about two and a half pounds of muscle mass. And they had another group, 65 plus, and they said, just lay in bed for 10 days. In 10 days, they lost the equivalent amount. So what took you five months wow. to gain you lost in 10 days. So I would say as a preventative measure, it's really important that we move a lot, um, especially mm-hmm. as we get older. Um, and as we're getting to our older years, you wanna make sure that you're maintaining your strength because the, the muscle loss does does, does pick up as in older years. Um, so make sure that your protein intake is good. Talk with your doctors on that. There's a whole other d- longer discussion we can have on, on just the nutritional sure. side of things um, that, we don't, that we as a healthcare committee um, just miss. Yeah, um, food we, is medicine we just, for sure. We, just don't, we don't do a good, jo- good enough job on that. Um, but for sure the movement part of it, because um, that can help prevent some future um, immobility and deb- debility issues um, as we go. and. If you, have a, if you have a family member or if you are a senior yourself and you, end up, you find yourself in a hospital environment or a skilled nursing facility environment, we don't see it as much in the SNFs anymore, but it's for sure in the hospital environment, um, I'm constantly ad- advising family members to make sure that they advocate for getting therapy um, to come visit their mom and dad two or three times a day. Like I, I'm, I'm, I see yes. too many of them coming out of the hospital where their new level is way down here and you're like, man, you're just there for a week. And so I think, I think mobility and moving is, is life.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much. Thank you. If you have a family member at home that has maybe had a recent traumatic event and is needing some home health uh, therapy to come out, or if you are just interested in preventing something from happening or just continuing to build that strength and keep it around, please give Brian Harmon a call at Nexus Home Health. Brian, how can they get in contact with you best? Uh,
1: Um, we're on the web at nexushomehealthcare.com and you can also email me at brian that's b-r-i-a-n at n-e-x-u-s homehealthcare.com
0: perfect i know we definitely plan to continue to keep in contact for our residents and pass that information along thank you very much for joining us today on the sage oak show senior care simplified